No. <laughs> Welcome back, Mets fans, to another episode of Mets Legends Cast. I'm joined today, of course, with my lovely co-host, Michael Jennings. Mike Rosen cannot be with us today, or he might join mid-podcast. We'll find out. If he does, it'll be a pleasant surprise. If not, we will carry on his legacy without him today. But me and Mike J are here to bring you some great stuff, as always. Mike, how the heck are you doing? Good, good. Uh, seems like Mikey Rosen's a little too busy writing articles for Sports Illustrated. <laughs> what a selfish jerk he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, he's, I mean, that's, uh, he's, that's awesome. Yeah, we're, we're super happy for Mikey. If you guys are listening, uh, Mike has some stuff recently published in Sports Illustrated, like Mike J just uh, mentioned, and uh, uh, we're super proud of him. Mike has always been a great journalist. We worked together on the paper in college, and, uh, and he's, he's just great. Um, so we're happy for him and, uh, he might be too big time for us. He's gonna, he's gonna, uh, he's gonna move on, but we're, we're, we're stoked for him. No, obviously very stoked. Yeah. Yeah. Mike, we got to talk about the Mets a little bit, a lot Mm -hmm. of stuff going on in Mets land. They're kind of hovering around 500. How are you feeling about the team right now? You know, I mean, it's, it still feels like a little bit of fits and starts with this team. Um, you know, once, once they get clicking and hopefully they get clicking soon, um, they're going to be, they're going to be a problem for the NL East. I think we all know that, but, um, but the key is putting it all together and they're certainly not helped by, uh, the sort of tumultuous turnover of, uh, of hitting coaches at the moment, um, firing Chili Davis. I'm not, you know, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I know he has his detractors, um, particularly given sort of the approach of the front office and Sandy Alderson is kind of at odds with, with Chili Davis's approach to hitting. Um, but I mean, it just seems like weird timing given, I feel like the bats are finally waking up and, you know, you go and let go of your hitting coach. It seems, seems kind of strange to me. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I think I think that you look at Chili Davis's track record with the Cubs, uh, with the Boston Red Sox. When he was with the Cubs, they fired him after one season. Um, it didn't seem like he had the best relationship with the players. Um, or maybe not that he didn't have the best relationship with them, but it didn't seem that his methods were conducive to them performing. Um, their offense, if you take a look at their numbers when he was their hitting coach, kind of took a dip and then they improved after he was fired. Um, he also coached with the Red Sox. The Mets uh, acting general manager, Zach Scott, was actually in the front office with the Red Sox while he was uh, a part of that organization. And uh, they gave him kind of a quick hook as well there. Um, I don't have any doubt that Chili Davis was a really great guy in the clubhouse. And as you saw with Pete Alonzo talking about how he was devastated, he was reportedly crying at his locker when he found out that Chili Davis and Kevin Slater had been fired. Um, So I think that having Chili around was something that these guys really liked. Um, I think as a person, they really liked him. And I mean, he's a guy that was no slouch in the major leagues. He had 350 home runs uh, in his career. Um, and yeah, I think it was a little bit of strange timing. Um, the Mets had started to pick up offensively. Um, 
you know, Michael Conforto's really turned a corner. Pete Alonso has been looking more locked into the dish. Jeff McNeil is starting to compile hits a little bit more. I think that it's something that was in the works um, for probably about a week. I know that mm-hmm. things are a little bit different now with the protocols with, with COVID-19 and everything. So they probably had to make sure that they did everything correctly before they were able to just replace Chili Davis and Kevin Slater. Um, I think that it's something that should have been done. Um, they probably should have fired him in the off season. Anyway, he was a guy that was hired by the last regime, um, you know, under Brody Van Wagenen. Uh, he didn't have a glowing track record uh, with on-field performance. With that being said, I think that they, with their logic was they tried to give Chile a chance. It really hasn't been working for the most part. And they decided that they want to win this year. So they're, they, they don't want to waste any more time. So yeah. I think that it's, it's, it does suck, you know, for guys like Pete Alonzo and, and even Francisco Lindor, who is struggling, but was said he was really upset about the Chili Davis news. Um, I think that it was necessary. You know, I, I think that, you know, Chili is an old school guy coaching wise. The Mets want to go in a more analytically driven direction. Um, so we'll see what this new guy got. This new guy has, uh, Hugh Quattlebaum, um, and only in Metsland really could you have a, a real coach named Hugh Quattlebaum and a, a <laughs> fake coach named Donnie Stevenson, who will get Donnie into a Diesel. later. <laughs> Donnie <laughs> Diesel, number 69. Uh, we'll get into the myth of Donnie Stevenson in a little while. But Mike, you know, being that we, we run this page, Mets Legends, you know, we like to root for the guys who – were, you know, tongue-in-cheek Mets legends for us. And uh, around baseball right now, it's kind of sad to see some of these guys banged up and not performing as well as they, they maybe were to begin the season. You know, obviously you have your, your Chris Flexens who are still playing well and Rafael Montero for the most part playing well, like we've talked about in recent episodes. But, yeah. um, you know, as you mentioned before we got on here, you know, Travis Darno is hurt. He's probably going to miss the majority of the season. Guillermo Heredia, who was with the Mets briefly last year, uh, had that ridiculous game where he – I think he hit like a grand slam and he drove in a ton of runs. He's yeah. on the eye now. And Steven Matz, uh, what, what do you think is going on with Steven Matz? He's kind of started to, to, to take a little bit of a step back in Toronto. Yeah, I mean, maybe we spoke a little too soon um, on our last episode, but maybe not. You know, it's, it's only been – you know, he's had three good starts, three not so good starts. So, um, you know, tell me where that, where that sounds familiar in Stephen Matt's, you know, Mets history as well. So, um, you know, he's always kind of been a streaky guy. Um, hopefully he can turn things around. I'm always rooting for Stephen Matt's just because I think, you know, he, he pitched a lot of good innings for the Mets, whatever you, you know, whatever you think of him uh, talent-wise, he's always had the talent. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's always been a mental game with him. If you look at the numbers, um, you know, in his first three starts compared to his next three starts, um, I mean, in the last three, he's pitched, you know, hasn't gone over five innings, uh, and he's really been giving up a lot of hits, uh, five hits, eight hits, and seven hits in his last three. A uh, total of, is that 14 home runs? Yeah, uh, or no, 14 earned runs and four mm-hmm. home runs. And, you know, that's, those just aren't good numbers for, for anybody, 
but yeah. uh, so he's, he's coming back down to earth a little bit. Um, but I, th- I still think now that he's in a new place, he, it, he won't carry that for so long. Like I feel like he did in New York, um, kind of given his, his, you know, he really wears his emotions on his sleeve on the mound. Um, so, you know, once things go bad, it, it tends to spiral for him. Um, but I, I, here's hoping that he can, he can break out of it, you know, sooner rather than later. Yeah. I mean, you know, those last couple starts that he had, he pitched, um, on May 3rd against the A's, went up five runs, yielded seven hits, you know, he struck out six. The one before that he played the nationals and they, they lit him up. They, they scored six mm-hmm. runs against him. Um, you know, he might be going through one of those funks that Steven Matz goes through sometimes. Um, he's a guy who, you know, is really in his head a lot, it seems. Uh, he gets a little bit rattled when the defense behind him doesn't yeah. um, exactly perform if something goes wrong. I don't know what the Blue Jays' defense is like overall, um, so I don't know if that's an issue with him there too. Um, but he has, he has 33 strikeouts in 32 innings, so he's still striking out about a batter in inning, which is, you know, good. Yeah. Um, you know, Steven Matz is someone who – it's just, it's kind of stinks because he's someone who coming from Long Island, which is well-documented, obviously. We um, all know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But you want to root for a guy like that, right? Like you want to 100%. root for a homegrown guy that the Mets picked out of the ba- their backyard at a high school. Um, yeah. You know, and especially someone like Matt, who was picked in the second round in 2009. Um, and then he missed a couple of years. He didn't get it. He didn't even get into his, his, professional career for a couple of years because he had surgery and everything on his arm. Right. Um, and then he comes up in 2015 in that magical season. And um, he's part of that, that, that group of the, you know, the four aces in Bartolo, um, you know, Zach Wheeler was hurt that year. Mm-hmm. Um, which reminds me before we talk more about Steven Matz, did you see that thing where uh, Zach Wheeler had talked about how the Mets wouldn't let him sit in the dugout during the playoffs in the 2015 uh, postseason. Yeah. yeah, you had mentioned that in our group chat. And I was, you know, that's just another thing with Zach Wheeler where it's like, man, I do not blame you whatsoever if you just absolutely hate the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he's, he's just been treated like crap um, for so long. And, and why? I don't understand. Like there's so many, like so many of these things that are kind of like dribbling out about the, the old regime, uh, particularly, you know, in the past couple of years leading up to Stephen Cohen buying the Mets, it just, it just boggles my mind. Like what was, what, what is the logic of not letting a guy get the surgery he needs? Like in the case of Jed Lowry or, what's the logic of not letting a guy sit in the dugout and be a part of his team, his team that he just can't be there because he's hurt. It just, it just makes no sense. I think it's, I mean, I don't know. Like it it seems like the Wilpons took it so serious, like took it to heart so much. Like when guys would be hurt, like either Mm -hmm. that or like, or like they were just like angry that these guys were like hurt and, and they were, you know, like wasting their money, quote unquote. Um, it's so like, just I vindictive. Feel like and for what? Is. Like you can't help getting hurt. No, 
you think the guy wants to be out for a year and a half with Tommy John surgery? No, <laughs> yeah. he wants to be pitching in the postseason for for you guys. Right, um, right. And so you know, and Wheeler's a guy that I really liked. Um, and you know, and and uh, you look at his 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 Mets career; they almost traded him to the Brewers for the Carlos Gomez deal. Um, you heard his name kind of circulating in trade rumors beyond that and seasons to come. They don't let Seems him like him and Nimmo. We're just in every yeah. trade rumor. <laughs> yeah. Like for no reason, really. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it just, you know, it's, it's just like, it's just like more icing on the cake of like the previous regime being, as you said, vindictive and like punishing Wheeler. Like, Oh, they're like, Oh, you got hurt. Like, you don't deserve to be sitting with the, with the, with the team in the dugout. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a little ridiculous. I believe it was an excerpt from Mike Puma, who is the beat reporter for the New York Post's new book. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I read that and it just was infuriating. It just, it, it, it makes me so upset, you know, that we root for these guys and then behind the scenes, you, you see how they're treated. And, uh, yeah. you know, it just makes you like even more like angry at the Wilpons and, and that, that front office. Yeah, I got to pick up that book. Um, I've heard nothing but like good things about it. Um, but, you know, I got I to gotta finish one first before I move on to another Mets book, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that you're reading any books is impressive to me because I don't think I've read a book in full in years as much <laughs> as I want to. So I, I really commend you for, for, for even thinking beyond the book you're reading now. <laughs> um, so Stephen Matz, we hope you're going to do well um, the rest of the season. You know, we're rooting for you here at Mets Legends. We have a couple really great anniversaries coming up, mm-hmm. uh, Mike, and, and a big one is uh, is the Bartolo Colon home run. And in my opinion, the Bartolo Colon home run is why there is still no DH in the National League. I feel like it would have been <laughs> way sooner if that home run never happened. It's not. It's not like you know Madison Bumgarner actually being a good hitter or Clayton Kershaw being an actual good hitter. It's, it's Bartolo Colon. It's Bartolo. <laughs> okay. So I think that. The Bartolo home run was a moment where it's kind of one of those moments where you kind of remember exactly where you were when that home run was hit. I think if you asked any Mets fan, they'd probably remember exactly where they were during that moment. Um, mm-hmm. So I want you to tell me, you know, what you remember about that day, Mets playing in San Diego, beautiful sunny day out there. Yeah. You got the seven line in the outfield. What do you remember about that day when Bartolo hit that home run? So it was a May day. So I was uh, in 2016. So I was in college. Um, so I was either probably watching by myself because I was in, in a university in Indiana. So no one cared about the Mets. Um, <laughs> but I was, you know, probably watching by myself uh, on a couch somewhere. And, uh, you know, obviously just like completely dumbstruck, like without any explanation of what I had just seen. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's no real big story to it other than I was watching myself uh, per usual when it came to the Mets. What's funny is I was also watching it by myself. Um, and I went to school in upstate New York um, mm-hmm. at SUNY New Paltz. And so there was a lot of people that were Mets fans, actually. So, you know, we had a lot of people that went to New Paltz from Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew some people from like the Albany region that were Mets fans. And we used to watch the games a lot in our communal lounge upstairs in my dorm building. Yeah. Um, but 
for whatever reason, I was, I was in my dorm alone. I think my roommate was out. Um, I had the Mets game on kind of in the background. I was doing some work cause it was the end of the semester. Right. And, um, you know, I, I look over Bartolo's at bat and his at bats were always funny to begin with, just because he started off being such a bad hitter and not that he ended up being a good hitter, but he kind of took it seriously. Like he kind of like, he, yeah. he kind of like was like, I want to get better at hitting. And he did, you know, he had a couple extra base hits as well. I remember he had, a, he, he knocked a double down the line at one point yeah. mm-hmm. uh, in a game. And so and a couple <laughs> gappers too. Yeah. He, you know, he, he, he was like, if guys aren't going to take me seriously, I'm going to make them pay for it. He did. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so I'm watching the game and, you know, I, I tune in to Bartolo's at bat and uh, you know, he just, he hits this home run. He, he cracks his ball and you're just like, no way, like no yeah. way. Cause like kind of off the bat, you knew that it was going to be a home run and yeah. like, Oh yeah. <laughs> It was so like video game esque almost too, like the way he hit it. Like it was like this such unorthodox swing. He cracked <laughs> the ball, and then you have Gary going nuts on the call. And mm-hmm. I remember just like jumping up out of my out of my my chair yeah. and like running into the hallway. I think I think I like literally ran out of my room into the hallway. I'm going nuts. I'm just like, and there's no one around me. Like no one, like my, 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 my neighbor was the RA. My other neighbor was like in, like, was like, Oh, I don't know. He probably wasn't in class, but so there's no one even around me. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. what? Oh my, holy shit. Um, and so it was just like a really awesome moment. I just like, couldn't stop, you know, couldn't stop laughing. And I'm sure yeah. me, like many, many other Mets fans have watched that, that video a million times. A like, million I'm pretty times. sure I know the call. I think yeah. I know the call by heart yeah. at this point. Bartolo drives a deep left field. It's out of here, you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> Bartolo has done it. Like, just <laughs> yeah. like amazing. Yeah. The impossible has happened, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they all cleared the dugout too. So like when yeah. you got back there, there's no one in there. It was a great moment. And, you know, I think that like, you know, I think the Bartolo hype has gone on a little bit too long. Like you still have guys like in 2021 clamoring for him to pitch for the Mets. And it's like, guys, he's 50 now. Like, like, let's <laughs> yeah. take it easy. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, it was very of that time. Like, I think it's time to move past it a little bit, but I think the commercials Bartolo, now. Oh yeah. He's doing, was he like, in, like, he's in like a state farm commercial or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, the guy, he's a fan favorite. He always will be. And I think that that home run really just solidified it. Um, I think that he probably wouldn't even be talked about as much anymore if it's, if it wasn't for that home run. Yeah. Um, and, we'll, and we'll celebrate, you know, as we should on, yeah. on the day on, on May 7th, I'm sure it'll come up on the broadcast and everything. And uh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll enjoy it as Mets fans, but I mean, you're absolutely right. Like, yeah, he's pitching in like, men's league now and sure he's mowing people down in men's league great <laughs> good for him yeah i mean he's not you know he's not jamie moyer like he's not brandon yeah. johnson like he's probably like if he pitched in the majors he would really just you know he wouldn't be able to he wouldn't be able to kick it but amazing home run uh for bartolo uh really one of my favorite moments as a mets fan and, um at least in recent years i mean it was just like part of such a good time in Mets history, like in, in, in at least in our lifetimes, like 2015, right. 2016, when the Mets were, were good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it, it still like never fails to make me smile that moment. Like even just like talking about it, like, I can't like get that smile off my face. And when you look at, you know, when you look at that rotation, like you said, four aces in Bartolo, like 
<laughs> these are like, you know, specimen humans who are like taking the mound every, every fifth day. And then just like, I, I just feel like the picture of them, the five of them is comedic in itself just because of, you know, kind of how Bartolo was as a person. I mean, just a very fun loving guy, great athlete, but also just like definitely overweight. And like, <laughs> and you know, you stand him up next to Noah Syndergaard, who's like, you know, chiseled from marble. And it's, it's just, I don't know. I, there was just something so special about that. We have a very special person joining us. Mike All right. Yeah, hey. What's up, buddy? Not too much. Giving me the grand introduction as soon as I step in. Not even, didn't even hear like any conversation or anything. <laughs> of course. We were, we were waiting for you. We've actually, we've actually been sitting in silence in the room for 25 <laughs> minutes waiting for you. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah, we were talking about going to be 25 minutes and then oh here's here's Mikey Rosen. <laughs> so when people turn into this turn into this uh um podcast, it's just gonna be me and Mike J breathing into the mic and then you join in it and then we start the podcast. <laughs> oh my goodness. Mike, we were uh. just talking about uh we were just talking about you being published in Sports Illustrated. Uh congratulations oh. on that. Thank you. Thank you very much. You want to talk to us a little bit about that? I mean, I, you know, I'd love to hear more about it. And I know the, the listeners would too. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So I started writing with this online publication called Good Sport uh, a few months ago. I think around February is when I started with them. And they're, um, they've been around since 2016. But in 2020, they kind of made the shift. Like at first they were... Um, their thing was like just kind of covering like positive and uplifting stories in sports. And then they made the shift to focusing on girls and women in sports. Um, so that's kind of their thing. That's what um, the articles I've been writing about. Um, and they, their thing too is kind of just um, like giving coverage that to girls and women who maybe don't get traditional media coverage. So uh, it's certainly a challenge uh, kind of like looking for sources and looking for stories, I, story ideas. Like you really have to dig in there and um, look for some unconventional ways to find people. Um, but it's been great so far. I've gotten to write a lot of cool stories. So this story in particular is about Desiree Abrams, who um, she is doing some refereeing in the NFL at the moment. She's not quite full-time yet, um, but she is, she's been refereeing for about five, six years. She's been in the NFL for about three years um, she's a former player as well, and her full-time job is uh, working with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, so she's, she was a very interesting person to talk to. She was super cool. She's done a lot of other sports. She used to be an amateur boxer, and she's got, she got to fight some really cool people there. Um, I know she told me, like, her work with the U.S. Department of Agriculture, she actually, like, was working with the people um, who busted Joe Exotic from Tiger King. Um, so she didn't have like a direct hand in that, but she knows the pe people who like did that. Yeah. So she, she was super interesting and super cool to talk to. Um, and I kind of found her just through a web of connections. Like um, I wrote my first story about um, this league of flag football um, for young girls. I think it's the exact age is K through um, eighth grade, I believe up in Westchester County. Um, and they referred me to someone by the name of Dana Sparling, who kind of helped them out a lot. And she does, um, she runs like a 
the Women's Gridiron Foundation. She's a former player as well. She's very involved in the women's football scene. And then she referred me to Desiree Abrams. So uh, kind of a web of connections that led me there. That's great, man. How did you start writing? How did you start writing for this uh, publication to begin with? I was just looking for places to write, (laughs) to be honest with you. And I found, I just saw the posting on Indeed. I looked at their website. I was like, oh, this seems like it'd be a cool place to write. Um, So I just reached out to them. And the the way it got to, this article got to Sports Illustrated was they got like um, a, some sort of business partnership. I don't know too much about like the business stuff behind the scenes um, with them. And so I was told that like some articles might, um, some articles they might send over for publication there. And I was fortunate enough to have this one sent over. That's That's great, man. That's really great. And speaking of Sports Illustrated, you know, I I try to uh, pick up as many Mets related cover magazines as I can. So I have this one right here, as you guys can see. Oh man, the best in field the best it's infield ever. <laughs> I think I'm going to frame them all, put them up in my room probably. But the fact that you're published in the same publication as that is really awesome, Mikey. Um, I know Adam Bosch would be really proud of you. Um, <laughs> as would as would Jack O'Brien, I'm sure. I'm sure he is. Um, but that's you. great, man. That's great. And I think it's really important, too, that you're talking about um, – you're talking about women in, in, in this landscape of sports where they're kind of boxed out for the most part. You know, I mean, you mm-hmm. had, you had recently, I think it was the New Yorker, um, their most recent uh, front page was the Knicks and the Nets since they're both, they're both <laughs> doing really well this year. But meanwhile, you also have the New York Liberty who are mm-hmm. fantastic right now, you know, and they have uh, Ionescu who's, mm-hmm. who's like their, their, you know, was the former uh, first overall pick and they're playing really well as too. And, and, you know, they don't really get any of that coverage. Um, you know, they really should be on the cover with those, with the Knicks and the Nets as well. I mean, that's, that's all New York basketball is doing well, but um, you know, so I think it's really important to kind of highlight those underrepresented um athletes in sports because they certainly don't get the same amount of coverage so that's really great yeah absolutely i completely agree um and that's certainly been uh it it definitely is a very fulfilling experience um and certainly like all the players and coaches i've gotten to write about um they always express a lot of gratitude for for the work i'm doing which is nice you know it's good to know that um that that i'm doing stuff that they really appreciate um, but yeah, I completely agree with you. You know, it, it's something that it's not going to happen overnight, but, um, you know, hopefully we can continue to kind of just work on, um, getting more coverage for, um, women's sports at every yeah. level, really. Absolutely. You know, I think it's super important and hopefully that landscape is changing a little bit because I mean, you look, you know, especially during the Olympics or, um, even if you're watching the WNBA or you're watching women's soccer, like, you know, the, the, the USA's women's soccer team is amazing too. You know, like yeah. they have an amazing uh, group of talent on that team. So hopefully the landscape is changing a little bit. Um, you know, it starts kind of with what you're doing man, giving them coverage. And uh, that's, that's really awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I, and I, I think the women's soccer team is like one of the biggest examples of it. Cause there's that whole totally. thing before of just, you know, their conditions are like not as nearly like their the field conditions, their travel conditions are not as good as the men's team. They're not getting paid as much, even though the women's team is infinitely more successful than the men's team. Um, but yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of work to be done, but um, it hopefully, like you said, the landscape is changing and we're heading in the right direction. 
Yeah, for sure, man. Um, since you joined us right after we finished talking about Bartolo Colon's home run, which the uh, the uh, <laughs> anniversary is coming up of the five year anniversary, half a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, I have very vivid memories of you walking on New Paltz's campus wearing a big <laughs> shirt, um, which is funny because, you know, Mike is, Mike is a thin guy. He's, you know, he's in tip top shape. Bartolo is, a, you know, built like a brick shit house. So being Mikey walk around with a, with a, with a big sexy shirt on uh, was always really fun. Um, but Mike, you know, me and Mike J were talking about where we were um, when we saw Bartolo's home run do you remember that night at all do you remember where you were what you were doing and kind of what your reaction was to him hitting that home run yeah so I was actually um on a hike in Beacon New York not too far from New Paltz that day um so I didn't I actually did not get to see the home run live but I remember getting back to my dorm room being very tired from the hike and just checking my phone and seeing like Bartolo Cologne hits two run home run Mets take four nothing lead. And I was like, is my phone broken right now? Like there's no <laughs> way I'm like seeing this properly. And like, I just went and looked at like the highlight and I, I just was like smiling from cheek to cheek, man. I was like, gosh, this is like, it's just such a fun moment <laughs> more so than anything else. But unfortunately I didn't see it live, but just the, I still did get to experience just that shock and just, um, not believing that it actually happened initially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I was saying, I was arguing, you know, that the only reason that the DH hasn't fully made it over to the National League yet is because Bartolo hit that home run five years ago. Mike J obviously put me in my place and was like, yeah, it's not because Madison Bumgarner and Colton <laughs> Kirsch are actually good pitching, <laughs> pitching hitters, but, um, you know. Uh, great moment in Mets history. And I think especially for us being in college and seeing the Mets um, be good for really the first time in those 2015, 2016 seasons and so long, I think those, those times are really special to us. And uh, it was such a good moment. Um, we have a really fun, uh, fun, I guess, uh, <laughs> player to talk about. I know he's kind of uh, split in Mets fandom, I feel like a majority of, Fans don't really like him, um, but Guillermo Moda, um, Guillermo Moda, uh, the anniversary is coming up when Henry Blanco took him deep. Um, so I'll let Mike, I'll let Mike J kind of take this one away. Uh, yeah. He had brought it up to me pre-podcast. So talk about that and then kind of our reactions to Moda as a Met. Yeah. So I have, um, I have like a little bit of a running list of sort of like on this day moments that, um, that I want to like do stuff for, for the, just for the Twitter feed in general. And one of them that came up was, uh, you know, like you said, Henry Blanco, a walk-off home run off of Guillermo Moda on May 6th of 2011. And, uh, you know, obviously that's such a, you know, such a random, you know, sort of highlight to think about, but it did get me thinking about Guillermo Moda uh, in general and his time with the Mets. And how you know how key he was to the to that 2006 team, and um, and how good he was for the 2006 Mets, um, only to be followed up by the PEDs uh, suspension going into 2007 and his struggles once he came back uh, in 2007 as well. Hence the sort of split camp of uh, of Mets fans around him. So you know, kind of given that sort of background you know what are your memories of of Guillermo Moda and 
you know, what do you yes. mean in his situation? So, you know, I, you know, I was, we were young in 2006, you know, we were like 10 or 11 years old, but, you know, so I, I wasn't at that age doing deep dives into like guys uh, performances, uh, you know, also like baseball savant didn't really exist then. So like, I don't know, like I was, I was young, you know, so my memories of Guillermo Moda in 2006 were that he was really good. Um, yeah. You know, I remember him being really solid out of the bullpen Um you know, they acquired him originally from, from the Indians, uh, August 20th, 2006. Uh, so they got him like right for the stretch run. Um, I, I really shouldn't even say stretch run. I mean, the Mets, the Mets had that division in the bag, but they, they got some bullpen reinforcements out of him. Um, you know, and then he was, he was big for them in, in the playoffs that year in the, in the NLCS, he appeared in five of the seven games uh, of that series. Um, and you know, the Mets pitching in 2006 was, uh, was kind of a disaster. Um, you know, I mean, you, their rotation was missing Pedro Martinez and Orlando Hernandez, hence why Oliver Perez pitched in game seven at all. I mean, you have to figure that if Pedro Martinez or El Duque were healthy, one of them is taking the ball for that game. Um, but even still, yeah, probably Pedro. I mean, he was, he was their ace, you know, and he was, you know, a big time guy who had, pitched in many of those games with the Red Sox and the Yankees, you know, years prior, um, you know, that was an old rotation. The Mets team that year had a lot of veterans. They weren't the youngest of teams. Anyway, they got banged up, but Moda was good. I mean, he, in game two, uh, he blew a lead um, for the Mets in the 2006 NLCS, but in his other four performances, he didn't let up a run. He was good. Um, and then in, November of that year after he had filed for so he filed for free agency on October 30th uh, 2006 on November 1st he was suspended 50 games for for testing positive for PEDs um and so uh the, the Mets re-signed him to a two-year deal regardless they they still re-signed him um and in 2007 he really really did not pitch well. He had a 771 ERA uh, in his first 16 games of that season, but then he kind of came back to form uh, in his next 15 games, he pitched to a 189 ERA. Um, so, you know, after that, uh, he went to the Brewers. Um, the Mets traded him after the 07 season for Johnny Estrada, who never played a game for the Mets. Um, kind of like David Justice-esque where uh, I think the Mets were just trying to dump Moda. Um, but I remember like vividly going to a game. It must've been in that 08 season when he was pitching for the Brewers and like, just like a parade of boos, like, like just like mm. they, Mets fans like booed mm -hmm. him really hard. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was kind of weird. Like, yeah. and I think a lot of them were still just yeah. like salty from him, like testing positive for PEDs. He had like a pretty rough season. He had a 576 ERA like total that year, um, which probably led to him being traded. But like really, they really laid it on him at the game. Um, and I was just yeah. like, yeah, yeah, he was bad last year, but yeah. I'm like, oh, he wasn't a weird guy to kind of boo. Um, you know, I, um, <laughs> oh, I, 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 it was him, right? That um, I think I'm pretty sure it was Guillermo Moda where, he had that thing with Piazza in spring training when he was with the Dodgers where like he threw at him yeah. and Piazza. That was, oh, that was him. Yeah. So 
So, you know, Mets Mets fans had reason to dislike Guillermo Mota even before he came to the team uh, for that reason. Um, So, you know, maybe it was just sort of one of those things where it's like, we didn't like you beforehand. You came to us, did well with us for a bit, then stunk it up. And now we don't like you again. Yeah. And I think especially, you know, it's, it's definitely emblematic of 2006, 2007, you know, to if you find out a guy tested positive for PEDs after, you know, so much coverage of that during that time, I feel like people were especially quick to, um, to definitely jump on, you know, jump on a guy. Um, I feel like it's not quite the case anymore, um, which I think is interesting thinking about that, you know, when a guy tests positive PEDs, at least for me these days, I'm just like, well, all right, <laughs> you know, and that, but in those days, it was still sort of like a fresh wound in baseball uh, or fresh enough that it would want that kind of a reaction for just a bullpen guy who just was like a middle relief kind of person. I mean, he did, he, he was in some high leverage situations, I think in 2006, they tried to use it the same way in 2007 and it just didn't work out, but I don't know. I mean, I think it's just sign of the times that he got absolutely lit up for apparently for time to come not just by the Mets fans but by the Mets team his name pops up a few times on uh like later on in his career uh on a list that I've been looking at of uh, Mets walk-offs just in history uh he's on there like two or three times so uh so he'll come up again (laughs) I think you're right though I mean like that was around the time where baseball was like really started to crack down on like PED users. Cause you have to remember mm-hmm. like the nineties, like it was kind of just like, like they, MLB just kind of turned a blind eye. Like you had Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Rafael Palmero, Barry Bonds, like Jose Canseco. Like you had all these guys that like, we all know did steroids, um, yeah. but MLB was kind of just like, well, they're hitting a ton of home runs. Like the, the, the fans that are, are packing out the stadiums so like it was kind of just like all right like we're you know we're not we're not gonna really penalize them and then like the early 2000s roll around they start cracking down on it in baseball there's no tolerance for it anymore you have the Mitchell report um where like the scathing report where all these guys are being named that that are connected to steroid use um and I think you're right like I think the stigma doesn't really exist too much anymore like I think that unless you're a guy like Robinson Cano who gets suspended twice for right. it. Like, I think oh, like most guys, <laughs> most guys are kind of tolerant of it for the most part. I mean, um, I don't know. Like, I think that like, you know, we could get into it another day. It's a very multifaceted thing, but like domestic abuse is handled way less seriously in baseball than steroids are. So that's more yeah. of an issue that's concerning to me than a guy, you know, injecting a needle into his arm or, you know, rubbing some cream on his body or whatever. Um, but I mean, the fact that Adubel Herrera is like, you know, back back with the Phillies, I don't know. Every time they bring it up, I just like cringe a little bit. I'm like, mm. mm-hmm. Domingo Herman for the Yankees too, you know, like yeah, Aral- right. like literally fired bullets at his girlfriend. Like, and he, you know, he is revered by Yankee fans. Um, yeah. But, you know, we could, you know, we could certainly talk about that more at length when we have more time um Mm -hmm. but 
Yeah, you know, relievers are so tumultuous. It, it, they, they vary from season to season so often anyway. And I think that the Mets, had they won in 2006, had they not collapsed in 2007, no one would have been booing Guillermo Moda. No one would have cared. I think that the tensions were just high. And I think that he was kind of just like a microcosm of like a larger issue for them. Right. Um, but Guillermo Moda didn't hate the guy in a weird way. I do have a visceral reaction to his name for whatever reason. Maybe it's because I saw a grown man boo him at city at Chase stadium when I was a kid, <laughs> but to kind of wrap up this episode a little bit, we want to talk about the newest man in town in Mets land. And that is Donnie Stevenson, uh, who is making waves on the Twitter sphere in the press conferences. Um, there's merch. There's merch that these guys are wearing. Pete Alonzo has official Donnie Stevenson merch on his web store. Stroman's wearing a pregame. Um, and, you know, I think it's a fun thing. I, I, I you know, I, I realized that the Mets just got rid of Chili Davis. And Kevin, uh, I think I was saying Kevin Slater. I believe it's Tom Slater. So that's my mm -hmm. bad on that. Tom Slater. Um, but Donnie Stevenson, what do you guys think about him? Is he a real person? Is he an idea? Is he something are the Mets using some foreign substance to kind of get the cash going? <laughs> Who, what is Donnie Stevenson? What do you guys think? So it's interesting you say that because I've been thinking about it a lot. <laughs> um, so first came up right during the Philly series and Pete Alonso had that big double. He drove in, uh, you know, a few runs and, you know, he gets second base and he does the, the eastbound and down sort of, you know, <laughs> wipe across the nose and then, you know. so, <laughs> so at first I was like, wait, hold on. Like, are we, are we going back to the eighties here? You know, <laughs> the, you know, Keith Hernandez, what have you been doing? Um, <laughs> but, but then I thought, you know, maybe, maybe it's just, you know, something for the guys to rally around uh, some sort of like east down, eastbound and down bit, some, some sort of like connection there. There's gotta be. Um, and then, you know, with the store coming out, I'm almost thinking like maybe Chili Davis came up with it, um, like for the guys to sort of like focus in. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it just seems like one of those like fun clubhouse things that it's kind of like a, you know, an inside joke. And, mm -hmm. and that's what makes it so interesting because, you know, we're on the outside, obviously, and, you know, all these guys are talking about it, you know, Trevor May, um, there's like a, the, the Chris Rose rotation on Twitter put out like a clip um, from their recorded episode. That's, I think it's coming out on May 6th is when it's coming out, but they talk about Donnie Stevenson on there as well. And Trevor May is obviously mysterious about it. He's like, oh yeah, Donnie's a great guy. You know, you, we might see him, you know, he's, he's a little camera shy kind of thing. So I love it. I absolutely love it. You know, I, yeah. Uh, I'd love to believe that he's real. Um, you know, I, I'd love if he was just like a real guy. He just like came out one day and like, Hey guys, I'm Donnie Stevenson. <laughs> but I think, I think, Oh yeah. I, I was just yeah. going to say, I think um, that's an interesting theory that Chili Davis was the one that uh, came up with him. I, I want part of me wants to say that, Pete Alonzo played a big hand in in the development of Donnie Stevenson. I, I he he kind of seems to be at the center of it and one of the players that's embracing it the most. 
but Pete also seems like a guy who something like you said, it would be one of those clubhouse things. And he is just super into it and really wants to jump on board with it and really like attach himself to it. I, man, I I think more so than anything else he is. I, I don't, I wonder if like they even like, don't, I wonder if they view him even as a person or just more so as like, a philosophy <laughs> the mm-hmm. donnie stevenson way um it's it's certainly interesting it is it is a lot of fun though i agree with you that it's one of those just fun clubhouse things that that's just always nice to see with the team i mean it's i think it's small things like that that make for a good place for players to play in and make them want to play there yeah i mean i'll have to pull it up we do at mesmerized we do round tables like kind of weekly and we usually do them if there's like um, topical things going on. So we are doing one on Donnie Stevenson. Um, and basically one of the other writers for the site um, talked about uh, like he had this great kind of thing on, on Donnie Stevenson. For me, I think Donnie Stevenson, like you said, is a, it's, it's a philosophy, you know? So this is what I had to say. I said, Donnie Stevenson is not one entity. He's a mindset, perseverance, strength, courage. He's what you feel in you when you hit a home run or drive in your buddies or tie up a game. He's euphoria. He's the underdog. I think the Mets have an eternal Donnie Stevenson in them. They're going to fight until the end. Um, he, he's ripping heaters, man. He's ripping <laughs> he's all over the field. He's still Donnie, man. Um, but I think that overall, I, I think that it – I think the, the theory of it could be Chili Davis perpetuating him is, is totally fair. I think that the Mets knew that their offense had been struggling. You know, they knew that they couldn't really string together any runs. They aren't hitting in runners with runners in scoring position. A lot of the guys are slumping. And then you go out and you have a big game on, you know, against the Phillies, a division rival. Conforto has that clutch home run late and, you know, you, you know that the media is talking about, you know, the fans are talking about your offensive struggles. So I think Pete Alonzo was kind of saying it in a tongue in cheek way, you know, of like, Oh, well, you know, we have a new hitting approach coach and uh, that's why our offense has finally gotten, gotten going. And um, I think that it was an inside joke between a lot of the guys, you know, you have Conforto come out next, Luis Rojas talking about it. Nemo's talking about it the next day. Uh, you know, all these guys, um, you have Kevin Pillar starting to hit. So I think that, like, they have them having that game, you know, and Pete saying that kind of tongue-in-cheek, and then having an overall productive weekend, um, you know, you have this legend of Donnie Stevenson kind of growing. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I think it's really more of an idea. And, uh, you know, maybe even one of the guys, you know, got up there, like maybe it was Jeff McNeil or something like that you know, and then pretended to be Donnie Stevenson and talked in a weird voice or something like that. And the guy's got a kick out of it. So, um, you know, Donnie like something Ste- he would do, I think that sounds yeah, like Jeff sure. McNeil. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think that it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun lighthearted thing. I don't know how, how much they're really going to be talking about Donnie Stevenson anymore. Now that Chili Davis is gone. I, I know a lot of the guys are somber because of that. Um, you know, I don't know if they maybe feel bad that, that happened um, and they were talking about like a new hitting approach coach. So who knows if the legend of Donnie Stevenson will continue. Um, I think it's fun though. I I think that, you know, the guys are really having a good time. Um, You know, I think that something like that is fun. Um, You know, it kind of made me think about 
uh, Sid Finch, um, you know, the Mets, the, mm. the Mets legend of Sid Finch. And are you guys familiar with Sid Finch at all? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So for you guys not listening at home, I'm sure that a lot of you know about Sid Finch, but um, Sid Finch was created by Sports Illustrated, actually, uh, in 1985. <laughs> um, and it was an April Fool's hoax article. And so today, I don't know how much you'd really get to get, you'd really be able to get away with something this elaborate because the internet didn't exist then. Um, but back then, I mean, this was a pretty funny idea. And like, so April Fool's 1985 rolls around Sports Illustrated writer George Plimpton has an idea um, to do this article about the Mets signing this new pitcher, Sid Finch. And, um, you know, they, they had the, the whole this whole huge extensive article. There's pic, pic, <laughs> pictures of this, of, of this guy in a Mets warm-up jersey hanging around the team, him pitching. Um, and there's this whole elaborate backstory of Sid Finch was an orphan from England. He practiced yoga in Tibet and he could throw a fastball 168 miles per hour. And he did this all while wearing one snow boot, the other one's off. So he's barefoot and he has one snow boot on. And this guy is throwing 168 miles per hour. And you can see in the picture, you know, he's wearing like the backwards Mets cap. Um, and he's almost kind of throwing like sidearm, like in the picture, you know, or like, like maybe three quarters. Um, but so back then you have to figure like sports illustrated, it, sports illustrated is a reputable outlet. They write this big story about this new pitcher, Sid Finch. So you have fans that are just like, so stoked. You're just like, Oh my God, like where did the Mets find this guy? Like this guy's going to be the, 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 the best pitcher since, you know, Cy Young or, or, you know, Nolan Ryan or whatever, like the, and the Mets have them all to themselves. And um, then you have other teams that are like calling sports illustrated are, are seething mad because they're like, how did the, what, how did the Mets get this guy? Why did no one else know about this guy? Like, like we have to face a guy that throws 168 miles per hour and so uh, it's just, it's, it's really funny, you know, and um, just like the way that they thought about this story and they cultivated it is, uh, is just, is really just, just hilarious. Um, you know, it says here on the Wikipedia page, um, the story was re released in March, 1985. So it preceded April Fool's Day. Um, Mets fans were overjoyed at their luck in finding such a player and flooded Sports Illustrated with requests for more information. Many people fell for the for the prank, a New York sports page editor complained to the Mets public relations director for allowing Sports Illustrated to break the news. Two general managers called the commissioner of baseball, Peter Ubroff, asking about Finch. The St. Petersburg Times Center reported it find Finch and a radio talk show host claimed he saw Finch pitch. So you have not even only guys like mad about this, but you have guys lying that they saw Sid Finch pitch, like, like just like completely buying into this ridiculous uh, kind of thing. So uh, the Donnie Stevenson thing certainly made me think about Sid Finch in a way, um, you know, since they both were, like involved the Mets, but, but both were kind of just like these fun, like little like legends, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so what do you, what are your guys thoughts on Sid Finch? And, and, you know, do you think that this is something that, that could really any, any team could get away with today? 
You know, it's interesting you say that because listening to this and knowing everything with Sid Finch, my initial reaction is there's no way that something like that could uh, go on today just with, um, you know, because I mean, back then, like you said, this is Sports Illustrated is a very highly regarded publication. So if they send out a story like that, you're going to believe it. Um, and, you know, there's no internet back in 1985. Uh, there's no way to like really, you know, you can't just hop on your phone and check to see if this is true or not. That's kind of your one way to, the, to really know if this is um, the validity of it. So initially I'm sort of like, there's no way something like that could fly today, but I, I, but then again, I don't necessarily know how true that is as we've kind of seen with Donnie Stevenson where there's still, it is different in a sense, but there's certainly similarities like you've pointed out um, that there's just kind of this mystic, unknown quality to it and even with uh even with all of our technology at hand that they didn't have back then uh no one really knows for sure the full extent of donnie stevenson and everything that he or the philosophy or whatever uh constitutes yeah and i think i mean i, I completely agree with you mikey i think there's you know it, it's different levels of like I guess, deception, where like, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to think, okay, you know, this guy's not real. It's not a real human being. Because, you know, there's, ne there's never, there's already been people on Twitter being like, there was never like a job posting, like, there's a fake LinkedIn account. Like, <laughs> like, it's, it's very easy to quickly get that information. But I think that only adds to the mystique of it these days. Like, I think, particularly the, the LinkedIn account, I, that the fact that someone went to the length of <laughs> creating, and it's really pretty hilarious what like the LinkedIn account says, I think, you know, past, uh, past experience includes, he was like, a, he was like a mindfulness consultant at Microsoft, <laughs> with, <laughs> just like every corporate buzzword you could imagine in like a job description. <laughs> so like, I mean, it's just fun. And like the fact that it engages the fans in this way to the point where people are doing that sort of thing and talking about it on social media. I mean, it only, all it does is build the, the sort of, intrigue and the and the and the mystique around the legend of Donnie Stevenson yeah I mean you know I'm trying to think of like how a team could get away with doing like a Sid Finch type thing like Donnie Stevenson is certainly like it would have been funny if they like perpetuated it like longer like if they like I don't know, like, you have to figure, there's so many, like, unknown guys in, like, a club, like, in, like, a clubhouse, like, like, not from, like, a player perspective, from, like, but from, like, administration, right, like, there's a lot of guys in, like, the organization who you don't really know, um, there's also a lot of people that, like, work at stadiums and, like, or, like, like, these guys have friends or whatever, like, they could have really, like, it would have been funny if they, like, picked one of their friends, like, if Pete Alonso picked one of his friends or, like, you know, if, like, 
I don't know, like they picked one of their friends to like pretend to be Donnie Stevenson and like put him up in front of like the media and stuff like that. Or like, you know, like had him on the field, like taking pictures, like they could have really developed this joke, um, which would have been hilarious. Um, I think it was kind of a spur of the moment thing, but that's the only way I could see it really them getting away with it now. Like, I don't think that you could do a player anymore. Like, I don't think that you could be like, we found this player who like, you know, is like the next Shohei Otani, like, you know, where nobody knows about him because like baseball reference has like guys that like played like for division three schools on there. Like, I'm sure if you looked up like guys from SUNY New Paltz, you'd probably find one on baseball reference. Um, but like, you could get away with it with a coach. Like you totally could just like have like, you know, a friend of a friend of yours, like, like pretend to be Donnie Stevenson and like, that'd be really funny for them to like, just like, like, just like, goof like have like a goof like that on like the media uh, i think that'd be really funny yeah but um i think the legend of donnie stevenson is funny regardless you know and i just like seeing those guys like especially conforto who's very stoic a lot of the time and like very like like a man of few words like kind of like cracking up like trying to hold back his laughter like when they're talking about donnie stevenson i thought it was really funny so um hopefully you know hopefully him and their actual real coach Hugh Quattlebaum uh can help them uh can help them get off get off get up get off to the races offensively but um we're about out of time unfortunately um Mike J Mike R thank you guys again uh always a pleasure um anyone listening at home thank you guys for always tuning in and uh we'll catch you next time can't wait.